I'm Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, November the 11th, 2022. Election Day is behind us, but it's not over. At the time of the taping of this show, ballots in Colorado's 3rd Congressional District are still being counted. It has been a wild week. So tonight, to go through some of the wins and losses from Tuesday, we have Patricia Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward. Also, David Kopel, a law professor and research director at the Independence Institute. Eric Sonderman, columnist with Colorado Politics and the Denver and Colorado Springs Gazettes. And Elena Alvarez, reporter with Axios Denver. Thank you all. The big takeaway, well, there are many actually, but the first the big takeaway is the red wave did not happen nationally or here in Colorado. In fact, the tide from Tuesday has turned our state solidly blue. I'd like to go around the table now and talk about what happened and then share your thoughts of why it happened, Patty. The wild one is the Frisch Lauren Boebert race in the third congressional district. This morning we all woke up, he was 64 votes ahead. By the time we sat down, she is 382 votes ahead. We don't know how it'll shake out, but almost inevitably it will wind up going to a recount because it'll be the hit the automatic threshold. What's fascinating is the polls were wrong, except the one Adam Frisch commissioned. The pundits were definitely wrong, and this went all the way from Colorado up to national. You had Nate Silver giving Frisch a three in a hundred chance of making it. No one on Tuesday night had any idea that he would do as well as he has. So that's one of the big shockers. But certainly another shocker was how much attention Joe O'Day got at the end. And you almost had the feeling that he was going to give Bennett a run for everyone's money. But as it turned out, he didn't come within 11%. So that was a surprise too. So the big losers, besides the Colorado Republican Party and Republicans in general across the country, pollsters and pundits do not look very smart this election. Hmm. Um, David, let me ask you too. The Congressional 3rd District, this should have been Lauren's race to win. Yep. What's going on with the Republican Party, especially in that part of the state? In the 3rd District, Boebert said she ran for office because she was inspired by Ocasio-Cortez and the squad. And obviously, she wasn't the only one. Marjorie Taylor Greene is another example of somebody like that. So you're saying, I'm going into politics so I can be stupid and angry at the same time. Well, as, as Frisch said, uh, you know, this angertainment isn't what the third district wants. So hypothesizing Boebert wins this. I think if she wants to stay in office, she's going to have to tone it down and have a more adult demeanor. If Frisch wins it, then his model is John Salazar, the Democrat who represented uh, the West Slope in Southern Colorado uh, for three terms, um, lost in the 2020 well, uh, Republican wave, but did pretty well. But he stayed in touch with his district and didn't get too far outside of, of where it was ideologically. Eric, the 8th Congressional District, you had been watching that closely. And the votes are still counting, but on Wednesday night, Barbara Kirkmeyer conceded the race. Indeed she did, and I, I take it she and her strategists must know something about where those outstanding votes are or they would not have done that. We'll see where the vote count heads. We'll see if it still tightens. For some reason, that part of the state was the slowest to report, uh, and it is still slow. It still lags behind the other seven congressional districts in terms of the numbers we have. I don't have the reason for that. Overall, uh, I mean, there was no wave here. There was no red wave. There was a solid blue wave in Colorado, but there was no red wave. And even across the country, there was barely a red ripple. 
uh, I commented that in Colorado it was not a wave, it was a backflow. It pushed, the, uh, you know, it, it, it pushed back the other direction. There are three, I mean, there are a zillion signals of it, but there are three that come top to mind to me. One, and David hit this hard, the fact that we're even talking about the Lauren Boebert race, whether she ekes it out by a fraction or comes up a fraction short, the fact that we're even talking about is an indication of the magnitude of the blue night that Democrats had in Colorado. Uh, secondly, the Senate race. I mean, you know, there were polls, I'm not sure there were reputable polls, but there were polls out there purporting to show it close to a dead heat. I happen to think Joe O'Day was probably the most able opponent that Michael Bennett has faced in his three elections. And yet, Bennett won that much more easily than he'd won other, either of his other two elections. Uh, it was a double-digit margin, a couple hundred thousand vote difference, easy night for Michael Bennett. And third is the state legislature. I never bought that Republicans were going to get the state Senate, and I know we're going to talk about that in a sec. I never bought that they were going to get the state Senate, but everyone expected them to narrow the gap, maybe gain a seat, maybe gain two seats, maybe gain three seats. Instead, they went the other way. The margins in the state Senate and the state House got bigger instead of smaller um, in favor of Democrats. Elena, voters in Colorado definitely came to the ballots. I feel like they were rather educated. I feel, what, what, did, what do you all perceive at Axios in terms of who the Colorado voter this time around was? I think you're completely right, uh, which is why so many voters aren't aligning with Republicans who have been election deniers. They're smarter than that. They understand, the, you know, the state of play right now. Um, there aren't major threats in our, you know, how votes are counted in our, like, de democratic landscape. Um, they are educated. They've seen how Trump has played to voters before uh, and are smarter this time around. Um, I think the fact, as everyone wisely has mentioned on this uh, table, that the fact that Boebert's race is, is as close as it is, um, is extremely telling and really reveals how um, lost Republican voters are right now when they're looking to uh, candidates who align with their own values um, and just, you know, sensibility, <laughs> align with sensibility that's not really apparent there. And so that's why you see, you know, Jared Polis dominating races in, in places like Douglas County, you know, deep red places. I mean, he almost even won El Paso County. He lost by two percentage points. That's a deep red county. Um, and I think Republicans right now should really uh, go back to the war room with these lessons and realize, you know, they did not uh, resonate with voters clearly. And this deep blue wave now, I think voters are asking themselves, is this here to stay or is this, you know, akin to 2018? Um, but that, as we've all mentioned, the red wave certainly was not to be seen. Democrats have seized full control of Colorado government for the first time since I read 1936. David, what can we expect this session? Well, we've got, here's something from Ian Silveri, who's, among other things, has been a, a panelist on this show. But more importantly, he's the husband of uh, Congresswoman-elect Brittany Peterson and has well over a decade of major experience in what, pe for people who identify, call themselves progressives, in, uh, in Colorado Democratic politics. And so here's what he retweeted. Uh, so if Colorado is basically blue now, can every single progressive organization finally team up to get rid of Tabor. So we are definitely going to see lots of attacks on the taxpayers' bill of rights because the people who identify, call themselves progressives, say they're in favor of choice for pregnant people, but, but basically not for anything else, including for voters and taxes. The accelerating elimination of oil and gas jobs in Colorado is going to continue. 
home heating and electricity prices are going to skyrocket. There's going to be fewer jobs in making energy that pays for itself and more jobs in corp corporate welfare businesses that produce inefficiently produce expensive energy and only are in business to harvest taxpayer subsidies. Even more so than already, Colorado is going to become a great state to work if you're a car theft thief or a bicycle thief and an even rougher state to work if you're a law enforcement officer. We're going to have a state budget of over $50 billion, but not adequately fund road improvements because automobiles are morally suspect. And overall, we're going to be run by a state government that looks at today's San Francisco and says we should make Colorado more like that, and they will. Okay, so I'm depressed. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Happy New Year coming up to you. Wow. Um, Eric, uh, you know, the party does, we've talked about, has to rebuild itself, but I think once we do start the legislature, you know, the session, it's going to be really evident. With, there's so few spots for Republican leaders in our state legislature now. Yes, and it's going to be interesting how the Democrats choose to treat those Republicans, because there are still some Republicans there of substance. I'm thinking of Bob Gardner from Colorado Springs, of Paul Lundeen, also from Colorado Springs, and I shouldn't have gotten started with my list. But there are bright, conservative, thoughtful legislators in the place, and are they completely ignored? Are they patronized? Or are they, you know, seriously involved in conversations, even if they don't have the votes to really back up those conversations? Uh, will be interesting. David painted a very gloomy picture. There are gems, germs of truth in what David said and in the alarms David raised. I am not quite that gloomy about the overall uh, picture of what we are facing. Jared Polis as a governor, and I'm not sure he bargained for this, but he is going to have to ride the brake pedal within the Democratic Party instead of just being full speed ahead on the gas pedal. He is going to have to pull the troops back sometimes. These super majorities, whether it's in Congress, whether it's in the state legislature, and regardless of party, super majorities tend to be sort of dangerous, unwieldy, hard to control. Already in the Colorado State House, there are four members who have formed what's called the Democratic Socialist Caucus, uh, including Elizabeth Epps, a new, newly elected member from Denver, and a few others. Now, that's only four out of, I guess, what's the number, 46 in the State House. That's less than 10% of the House. But they are determined, not wholly unlike the Ocasio-Cortezes and others on the federal level, to exert influence in that caucus and to pull that caucus left. It's going to be up to leadership and it's going to be up to Governor Polis to keep them in some kind of mainstream befitting Colorado. I think ultimately they'll be more successful than not. Elena, I see you nodding to everything Eric just said. He's spurring uh, thoughts that I haven't actually thought about before, but I am now really agreeing on that. Governor Polis is going, you know, we have 50 shades of blue right now in the in the legislature, <laughs> essentially, right? And that's going to be really uh, interesting to see how these shades kind of evolve um, based on where, where the blue candidates kind of put themselves on the map. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting to see how Governor Polis plays this kind of conservative role, right? Uh, and he has a real opportunity, which also might set him up for potentially a presidential race where he can look and, and show how he's been moderate, you know, in a completely democratically controlled government. Um, I think also a lot of pressure and eyes are going to be on the Democratic Party right now because as, you know, they're in control, they have all the wind behind their back to progress their agenda. And if they don't, 
that really reveals some deep dysfunctions <coughs> potentially within the party um, and could potentially affect future elections. So they have a lot of pressure. First of all, I have to say I'm very glad I don't live in David Kobel's <laughs> world because I am far more optimistic <laughs> about all Democrats do not speak in one voice, just as all Republicans, thank God, do not speak in one voice, although it looked like it in some of the run-up to this race. We survived uh, majority Democrat state house, majority Democrat, um, Democrat Senate, now not with the majorities we're going to see now, but over the last years. And Polis knows how to control, Put he knows when to put control in and when not to. He's got a lot of issues coming up, and I think he will be very smart on how he plays it. And I think, frankly, the Democrats who are, most Democrats who are in the General Assembly will also be looking ahead to the next election when it's going to be a wild attempt to come back by the Republicans. You know, everyone wants Colorado to be a better place. We might disagree on what makes it a better place, but we're going to have less money because of the tax, um, the tax cut and income tax. They're going to have to balance things. It's not going to be all that easy to get rid of Tabor. We've certainly seen attempts over the last 30 years. So my... Uh, more of a blue heaven than a blue disaster is what I'm saying. All right, blue heaven. I'm going, all right, I like that. Let's talk about the initiatives. You know, our ballot was so long and kind of the results are kind of all over. Eric, let's start with you. The voters of Colorado exercised some discernment. It wasn't all just let's go yes or all just let's go no. Even on the alcohol, the liquor issues, 124, 125, 126, I figured they would all move en masse. It looks like they're all going down, but by widely different margins, where 124, the total wine and liquor sort of corporate takeover thing went down hugely, and 125, the wine and liquor store thing, I mean, excuse me, wine and grocery store thing, is much closer and still, I don't think, officially defeated yet. Um, the most notable one for me is even as there was this massive blue night in Colorado, you wave a little bait, a little attractive fish bait in front of voters in the form of a tax decrease, and they respond. And it was almost a two-to-one margin, just shy of two-to-one, by which Prop, I believe it was Prop 121, uh, passed. And Elena with, at Axios, I was very impressed. You were in charge of doing all the charts of the percentages for each of the initiatives. That was a lot of work, aside from by being sick of numbers right now. What were the things that you picked up by doing that? I mean, similarly to Eric, I was also very surprised with how um, quickly the propositions 124, 125, and 126 related to alcohol failed, considering they collectively raised $27 million to get voter support. Um, I think props to the voters for thinking independently. Um, and it was really interesting to me to see how fiercely voters uh, stood up for small businesses and the fact that they could really be harmed by um, some of these propositions. Um, I also thought it was interesting that many Denver voters, despite the pains of inflation chose to invest and raise taxes on things like um, raising taxes for uh, to support the Denver Public Library. That's about 37 million, I think, annually that's going to go to that, uh, to li public libraries. Um, they're also, it looks like, going to approve um, a raise in property taxes to fund sidewalk repairs and basically shift the responsibility to the city. You know, Denver historically has always been very uh, favorable toward taxing themselves. Denverites, uh, they love to tax themselves. Considering we're bracing potentially for a very big recession in 2023, I'm curious to know where that line is when Denver voters decide to draw it. 
Um, so that's what I'll be watching. I agree with Eric. What was great to see was that voters could figure things out. Like 124, they were outspent, the opponents were outspent 38 to 1 on this very cynical campaign that made it look like you were supporting mom and pop liquor stores if you voted for it when in fact you weren't. And voters figured that out, which is great. It's interesting that we have so much on the ballot about liquor and also about magic mushrooms, which I'll bring some for you, David, next week. <laughs> I think it'll help. And so we now see that 122 passed, which I'm actually surprised about. It looked towards the end like it might not because opponents included not just the usual prudy pants, but also uh, some Native Americans who didn't like the fact that it hadn't been researched and it was taken from their own natural drug ceremonies. You had people who are worried that it's going to go the way of cannabis, even though they support decriminalization, that they're concerned it's going to become big pharma, big company. So Jared Polis is going to have his work cut out on that, too, writing herd over the state group that is going to be setting up how to get legal access to psilocybin mushrooms. And of course, as soon as the na nation is done making fun of us for Lo Lauren Boebert, they're going to be making fun of us for this. Yeah. David, everybody wants yeah. to make you happier. Well, so Patty one of, is one of them. <laughs> one of the things that made my dad happy, yes. he ran in 13 races, won 11 of them, was he could walk down the street and sort of mentally know, like, oh, 53% of the people I'm meeting voted for me. And so we now know what's popular in Colorado and what's not. Uh, we can tell the tax cuts are really popular. The Independence Institute's income tax cut passed in every county except Boulder. The, uh, tax, the property tax cut for Gold Star spouses uh, got 88%. We know that mushrooms are more popular than chain liquor stores and for-profit bingo companies. Going forward, everybody, what's next? What should people have on their radar as, in terms of you know, the new makeup here in Colorado or in Washington. What, what's kind of, what are you guys kind of mulling about? Personally, I think everyone's really interested in how Republicans are going to regroup after this. Um, I was super interested by the fact that they lost Latinos uh, three to one. And this was a, a very big voting block, a huge, extremely critical one in, in Colorado um, that Republicans were really uh, hopeful to, you know, harness um, they lost them completely at a time when, you know, Republic or, uh, Latinos are thinking about the economy. They had a real opportunity with inflation. Um, and so I am really curious how they're going to regroup, hopefully ditch the election denier stuff after, after seeing, you know, multiple elections. It's not working. Um, and really see how they potentially come back a little bit more center instead of staying super far right. Um, that's what I'll be watching. Well, I'll be watching, obviously, to see how 122 is implemented, but also to see if people can t behave better towards the election process. Will we have a lot of whiners who are demanding a recount or making accusations in Colorado? We've certainly already heard them around the country, but we heard good things about how the election went in Colorado that clerks and polling places were not bothered unduly. You know, there were people who were out suspicious and watching, but there were not horrible threats. So let's hope, I'm going to be watching to make sure people continue to behave and that the process continues to try to improve itself, but we recognize that it is working. Mm -hmm. David. Well, one of the things I'll be watching, which will be difficult though, is, is uh, Governor Polis's uh, preparations for a presidential run because he's in a situation where he has to prepare well, but he also has to keep quiet about it. The election results increase the odds that Joe Biden will, will run for re-election, uh, which makes 
Polis have to pretend that he's not going to run in 24. And Biden has proven that he can stop Republicans, but he can't stop time. And, you know, sometimes his, the effects of aging on his mental acuity, you know, sometimes they're kind of harmlessly comical, but not when you consider the global dangers that this country faces. So here's one potential scenario. He runs for re-election. He's uncontested in the Democratic primaries. And then let's say in June 2024, he makes a patriotic decision and says, you know what, just how much things I've, worse I feel now compared to four months ago, I'm not going to run for re-election. So the nomination is thrown to an open convention all full of delegates who just thought they were going to do a ceremonial vote for Biden. Well, who's going to be prepared? Who's going to have the machinery and the infrastructure to move into that open convention quickly and then pull off a dramatic win? And so that's the kind of thing that Polis and, and a dozen other, uh, I think, serious contenders are going to be have to try to, to figure out right now while pretending that they're not figuring out anything. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear your idea about the convention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that would certainly make for good theater. I'm not I'm betting on it, but it would make for good theater and good speculation. Uh, let me quickly uh, sort of, both parties face challenges, and let me highlight one challenge for each party, and I think it's germane both on a national level and a state level. For Democrats, yes, they had a much better than expected night earlier this week. But the facts on the ground didn't change the morning after the election. If you walk very far from where we're taping the show, go downtown Denver, anywhere else, homelessness is still rampant. Uh, inflation is still raging. Uh, crime is still at levels that we haven't seen in a while and that we don't want to accept or learn to live with, et cetera. Democrats need to deal with the facts on the ground, and those have not changed. For Republicans, it strikes me that they're in this deep, almost eternal battle between what I call the governing wing of the party, the people who are responsible government officials and want to serve in that capacity. And they fared pretty well the other night, whether it's a Brian Kemp in Georgia, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, a Mike DeWine in Ohio, you can run a list. And the wing of the party that is much more interested in you know, Twitter clicks and in perpetual outrage. And Republicans have to sort out which wing of the party is the future, and hopefully pick wisely. Let's go through our lightning round, talk about the goods, the bads you can do over election season or just in Colorado in general, whatever you want, if you want to keep with the election, because there's, I'm sure, some things that are not so great. Let's start with you. What's a low that you're witnessing? I have to say, Heidi Ganahl, her, during her last week and then her concession sort of speech, she went on Joe Altman's podcast. Really, at this point, you should not, if you're running for governor of Colorado, be pushing the election denying. And Joe Altman, for people who don't know. Right, runs a pad podcast and one of the chief election deniers who's based here. Well, I think the problem would be me uh, last week when I described the proposed Boulder Library Ordinance yeah. and I was wrong about how far east the boundaries of that district would go. And so thanks to the two uh, very thoughtful viewers who wrote me nice letters uh, explaining my error. Okay, all right, Eric. Uh, I certainly agree with Patty's uh, point as to Heidi Ganahl and sort of the whole tenor of that campaign was off key from day one. Uh, our, our former president, Donald Trump, provided a textbook lesson, uh, tex yeah, a textbook lesson in narcissism uh, going on News Nation. I guess when Fox News won't have you, that's when you go to News Nation. And his comment the other night was to the effect of, quote unquote, if Republicans do well, I should get all the credit. 
Flip side, if Republicans don't do well, I should not be blamed at all. <laughs> That is narcissism, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm going to go with misinformation about Colorado's election. It's still swirling around, including coming from Ganahl. Um, and there's just, we have top election officials who time and time again are saying there have been no problems so far, they're reporting. Um, and that is just damaging to democracy and so needless. All right, let's end on a happy note, shall we? Veterans Day. It, today is Veterans Day. There are events this weekend. There's a race. And also, if you haven't been to the Colorado Freedom Memorial, where they're illuminating uh, luminarias in honor of everyone who died in a war from Colorado. Oh, check that out then, definitely. This weekend. Yeah. Uh, another refutation of the election disinformation crowd. Georgia's voting improvement laws resulted in a voter turnout of 57%, over 4 million people, the highest midterm turnout in the state's history. And that's better than Colorado's 51% turnout in the midterm election. Yet the owners of Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game from Atlanta to Denver because they pretended they knew that, that Colorado's law was better, which just confirms what baseball fans already know. The owners are a bunch of idiots. Okay. <laughs> so you got that negative in there, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two exemplary public officials who are leaving the scene. Congressman Ed Perlmutter, his replacement has now been chosen. What a career, what a good human being, fine person. Uh, more local, specifically to Colorado Springs, a city councilwoman by name of Stephanie Fortune. Some of, her knew, some of us knew her as Stephanie Finley around Colorado Republican politics. For a number of years, she moved to Colorado Springs, got married, changed her name, and is now facing, uh, sadly, although optimistically, a cancer battle, and is stepping aside from her city council seat, and best wishes to both of them. We wish her well. Yes. I'm still on elections. Uh, election day went extremely smoothly in Colorado. Uh, county clerk said election deniers um, and uh, bent on intimidating voters and election judges didn't materialize. And there was a record uh, number of ballots turned in on election day. So that's a huge win. That is what we like to hear. Yes, that's it. excellent. Um, that is all the time we have for this week. But today, as Patty mentioned, is Veterans Day. So I'd like to close by honoring all the veterans watching the show and those men and women who are all in our lives. So thank you for your service to our country. As always, we welcome your comments. So please share them with us on our social media pages or email us at cio at pbs12.org. And one more reminder, you can catch Colorado Inside Out anytime on YouTube and on pbs12.org. I'm Kyle Dyer. Thank you for watching Colorado Inside Out. I will see you next week here on PBS 12.